0: Welcome to Fresh Takes on Tech. I'm your host, Bonnie Estes, Vice President of Innovation for the International Fresh Produce Association. On the podcast, we get to hear from people that are shaping the produce industry with solutions to our biggest problems. Join me as we uncover the opportunities and advancements shaping the future of produce through a tech lens. Welcome to Fresh Takes on Tech, where insight meets innovation. Hello and welcome to Fresh Takes on Tech. We have a special interview today with the winners of the IFPA Science and Tech Circle of Excellence Award. The annual award recognizes organizations that create disruptive processes, practices, or products providing benefits to the produce industry supply chain. This year, the award was given at the Global Show to Agrology and Braga Fresh for their collaboration in regenerative agriculture. Today, we are speaking with Eric Morgan, VP Environmental Science and Resources from Braga Fresh and Charlie Dubb, Head of Regenerative Partnerships and Co-Founder of Agrology. Welcome. It's so great to have you all and it's great to see you at the show.
1: It's great to see you as well. It was a great show. It was a great show and truly an honor to receive an award and be recognized. Quite a shock. So
0: <laughs> great. Well, I'm glad you made it down for it. I know that was a bit of a challenge. So I had to twist your arm a little.
2: <laughs> it worked. Yeah. yeah. It, it was my first time at the show and I was, oh, was it? it. Oh yeah, great. It was amazing. The level of production, oh yeah. The the educational events that you guys had. It was just I learned a lot, had amazing connections, but also I was just so impressed that it was it was quite a show, you know. The show is the right word for it. It was an amazing production. Yeah.
0: yeah, it really it's amazing what they those people that I work with can produce. You know, they're just like regular people, and then you go to that show and you're like, wow, you know, because I don't I don't get that involved in the big parts of it and how great it looks and everything. And I'm always blown away. It just it's a huge feat, and and you go and you know, I know a lot of the stuff in the background that people are you know their hair's on fire about, but you would never know, like everything's smooth and it just, it's pretty amazing. Okay. So Eric, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about Braga Fresh and why agrology is of interest to you.
1: Braga Fresh is a vertically integrated, cool season vegetable producer with operations primarily in the Salinas Valley and the Imperial Valley. The Braga family started farming in Soledad, I would say before 1928, but really Frogger Ranch and the home ranch was was 1928. Um, And there's just been a lot of growth. I've been associated with the company for a very long time, since 1996. It just seemed a tremendous amount of growth, but really truly vertically integrated, planting our own crops, fertilizing our own crops, doing our own pest control, doing our own harvest, doing our own cooling you know, sales and also with the help of two processing plants, uh, creating value added organic and conventional products as well. But it's just, it's a lot has really happened in the last 15 years, I would say, but it's, it's an upward trajectory. And as far as, you know, our association with agrology, that's, we're a little over a year on that now. And so really have enjoyed the partnership and seeing them develop the Arbiter system. And it does have a good fit in, in what we're trying to accomplish in our sustainability and regeneration goals.
0: When did you start? When did the company start getting interested in, in regenerative ag? And is that something that you brought or how how did that so come it's, about?
1: It's kind of a, a number of years ago, probably 15 years ago. I've been working in sustainability for nearly 20 years, but. Fifteen years ago, I I thought that there could be a correlation between tillage and a lot of the environmental concerns that farming generates in the Salinas Valley, you know, with groundwater and surface water issues. And to me, it was always that tillage may be a common denominator between a lot of those things. And so I I checked with the farm advisor. I said, can we do no-till vegetables? He told me no. (laughs) <laughs> um, and then we had, and then we had the Netflix documentary come out, and um, it, I, I obviously watched it, and I had a lot of colleagues that watched it, and I'm kind of the the technical farm nerd for the operation, and so they said, "What well, what about all this?" I'm like, "Okay, well, we can do it, but we don't know what we're doing." So we started trials probably over three years ago now, and it's really grown in scope to where we do have you know a product line that we do have on the market. And it continues to grow. But really, I mean, I'm not going to say that it was my idea because it wasn't. We all just kind of came together at the same time and including our CEO, which there had to be a pitch to him as well. Uh-huh. I, mean, I had to sell Rodney on the concept and he really wasn't even in. And so I said, you know, we're going to have to you know, see if, if, we're, if we can get into carbon markets at some point too as an additional revenue source. It's, our costs are escalating like everybody else's. And if uh-huh. we can generate any other, any kind of an on farm revenue. And maybe carbon markets. I said you're not going to probably be able to access carbon markets until we start to look at tillage and be able to measure. it. And he was pretty supportive. But it's, it's been a team approach. I'm definitely the team leader for you know the regenerative side. Anything kind of nerdy and techy. But we have a robust team, and you know really everybody kind of has their own niche. Whether it's Katie or Kyle or Trace or even the office staff with Amparo and Veronica, really working hard and just support from sales and support from marketing. It's really been a team approach that has gone through the entire operation.
0: yeah, it's been interesting meeting your team. I think it's a it's a template that other people could use and that you've hired people from not traditional backgrounds and and in what you're trying to do, there's it's not traditional, and so there's not people that have done it their whole careers. So I think that's been really interesting as well, just to see how you staff and and get things going
1: yeah, in in really just trying to create trying to find out you know, what people are good at too. And, and that's what Rodney, that's what my CEO does. He finds out what people are good at and then really let you go. And so I'm trying to, to model my management after that too. And, and really just, you know, find where everybody fits the best at and then just encourage them along. But even, you know, my pest control advisors, Adrian and Mauricio, (coughs) they're on board. We're, we're already making big differences. We have less issues now because of the, not that we're farming everything regeneratively, but because we're learning a lot in the process towards regeneration, we're already applying those lessons to our entire production system, both organic and conventional, and seeing improved crop quality, crop quality and it's it's visibly evident that we, you can translate principles and practices associated with the regenerative standard to any crop.
0: Excellent. Charlie? So tell us a little bit about agrology and how you got involved with Broader Fresh.
2: Yeah, so agrology is, um, I'd say we're sort of right between a climate tech startup and an ag tech startup. We definitely do both. And we started with uh, a device called the Sentinel. That was really the goal is to help growers kind of stay one step ahead of the evolving climate challenges. You know, extreme weather really focused in wine production. So really focused on frost detection and prediction. Heat domes and then also smoke because smoke taint is a really big risk for wine grapes. And uh, we approached Eric, you know, I guess what a an, uh, year and a half ago or so, and or maybe maybe a little bit longer. And we said, hey, we have this amazing device. It's uh, it's like a weather station, but it also has machine learning capabilities. So it'll actually predict block by block the different climate threats that you might be facing. And he says, oh yeah, I mean that's that's interesting. That's great, but I I really need something that's looking at carbon. And now carbon's moving through the system. Like, that's what I'm interested in. Can you make a sensor that senses carbon continuously and kind of the changes in carbon from these different practice changes that we're experimenting with? And, um, I mean, you know the story better than, than I Eric. Because actually, before my time at agrology, but I believe the founder sort of went, hmm.
1: Adam's like, ooh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a challenge
1: yeah. it, 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 uh, You know, it, it opens up broader markets And so, you know, really the, the initial agrology sensor Was, didn't have, you know, it would help us For sure, and is a great tool but really, you know, the huge benefit of the Sentinel product was the wildfire smoke detection. And really, you know, that's a huge benefit for growers and talking to growers in, in Oregon and stuff like that. Like, yeah, you got to have it if you have an insurance claim. You know, you need to have a metric to be able to show the insurance oh, that there's a, a real issue here. But no, Adam was receptive. And uh, to me, that's just for any tech startup. And I've seen it previously. When you know a potential client says, yeah, that's great, but we might need this too. I think that that but we might need this too, I think the startups need to pay attention to those. I think that it does lead to better success down the road. Yeah. I mean, everybody's got great ideas, but knowing what the customer actually needs. And it, it wasn't an original idea. I would say that Charlie and I are both fond of John Kemp. K-E-M-P-F, mm-hmm. and I was fresh off a, a two-day seminar that John put on at the Piscinus Ranch. And oh. um, he talked a lot about CO2 respiration in the soil. And, and really, I said, well, with machine learning and AI and constant monitoring and the ability to really look at all the different soil health metrics that we have and, and look at the soil carbon respiration, CO2 respiration of the soil, I pretty much knew at some point somebody can build a model that would indicate, you know, what you're doing. And, and I think that we're already seeing it to some degree. And I, I know that Charlie's already kind of seen it in the regenerative vineyard side, you know, mm-hmm. that a soil where regenerative practices are being done, the CO2 respiration from the soil looks different. And, and for the record, we want our, our soil respiring a lot of CO2. And for the records, our plants would benefit from our soils respiring higher levels of CO2. They actually benefit from more CO2 than what we have in the atmosphere. It increases photosynthesis. So with, you know, the fresh knowledge base from John Kemp and and Adam's willingness to, to go down that road, they've developed a great product. And, you know, there's been multiple iterations in the last year and a half, too, you know, just from a standard sensor to where we're actually watching soil carbon flux in and out of the soil real time you know, groundbreaking technology and really starting to, you know, bring in heavy hitters on the analytical, like soil health side to like, how do we do this? But aside from that, because that model's not necessarily ready yet and it might be some time, we can see what our cultural practices, whether it's fertilizer selection, cultivation, irrigation, water, soil temperature, ambient temperature, all these different factors do to influence CO2 respiration. And so we're looking at that data and trying to modify our practices to get that so we can increase CO2.
0: And how much does that vary like um, from day to day? And there, there's so many factors I and mean, that's where machine learning is, is helpful. But there's so many factors if you've got the temperature changing and you've got a new practice that you're using, you know, how do you look at all those different variables and make a prediction?
1: I think, I think that's, what we're, that's, what we're, that's what we're starting to do now. And because it's such a big task, I'm not doing it. Uh, Katie on the team is is going to be working closely with Charlie and the agrology team. And we have a lot of on-farm data. So we can actually tell, you know, what tractor with what implement went through the field and start to look at, you know, crunching that data and find out what the correlations are. I will say that initially, when we're, we're monitoring You know, just ambient CO2 levels, I thought that there was a spike every night where the soil came alive at 2 a.m. and the CO2 levels just went crazy and it went to 800, 900 parts per million. And then I I think that when we looked at it, it was just that the wind stopped. That's and that's <laughs> the mixing, you know, it was no longer mixing with the you know, atmosphere. And it was just like, you know, it, that's what it's respiring. It was, The soil was respiring that 800, 900 parts per million CO2, but you just can't see it when it's windy because it's mixing. And then they came along with a modification to the device where, you know, it's kind of trapping the CO2 in the soil. So you can actually see the soil breathe the CO2 in and out. So we we come across challenges, Adam and Charlie like to find good solutions for them. So um, yeah. we appreciate the iterative process as we refine this amazing tool.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, yeah, it's we're so lucky to to have a partner
2: like Braga that is willing to kind of go out on the limb a little bit with us and also just be part of that iterative process. We're at a really ripe juncture and intersection between a grower that's really, in my opinion, leading the charge in terms of regenerative ag at scale, you know, in the Salinas Valley sort of model, and really upending that model and really making some pretty, you know, dramatic changes. And then using the technology, you know, with machine learning, and kind of just this new continuous insight, ground truth measurement of soil health, and then combine that with, Just the the iterative process between all of those things, it's, you know, our goal as a company, we always say, is to close the feedback loop between the soil and the grower so they can get continuous real feedback about, hey, this practice actually just cost us some soil health and these are the numbers around it. Or, hey, that, you know, this cover crop versus this cover crop, it's pretty clear where the biggest bang for our buck is. And that's really important for growers because as we know, you know, the margins aren't massive and these practice changes do cost a lot of money Mm -hmm. moving towards climate smart agriculture. There's a definite return on investment in it, but there's an upfront cost. And so the sooner you can get that feedback about what practices have the biggest bang for the buck, the better, and the better you can kind of be guided towards, you know, the truly sustainable approach, which includes financial success. That's gotta be a key piece of the sustainability conversation.
0: And is this, um, on a dashboard that they get the information or how, how are they yeah, getting so it's information? An,
2: it's an app. And so it can be on an iPad, iPhone. And then we also have a grower portal that we just released recently where you can pull up reports and you can kind of overlay a bunch of different data. What's great about the Arbiter system is you're getting soil respiration, but you're also getting a lot of climate data. So that's how we can kind of pull apart and make sense. You know, carbon's a really interesting thing to measure. Once you start to dive in, it's very spatially variable and it's very temporally variable. Like you said, climate will affect it a lot. And so this is one of the reasons why I think a lot of growers have seen quite a few challenges in measuring it, just measuring once a year, because that's just a point in time. Yeah. But the
0: carbon And who knows factor, what's happening that day? Yeah.
2: It could be extra high. It could be extra yeah. low. You know, you could be underestimating or overestimating. And um, I think what's really exciting about looking at carbon and soil respiration is that carbon sequestration, although it's very important, it is a secondary effect of having a healthy soil microbiome. And there's all these other positive secondary effects, like increased pest and disease resistance, increased water infiltration, which uh, Eric can tell you directly about, increased nutrient cycling, so you could actually save on input costs and fertilizer. And so... Although looking at carbon sequestration is a great way of, you know, bringing in potential new revenue sources to the farm. And it's obviously a really important part of the conversation around, you know, climate smart agriculture. There's all these other potentially even more positive effects that you get when you start to center soil health as kind of your key, your KPI in terms of production, you know, health and efficiency. So, yeah, we're really excited to just kind of be, part of this movement of regenerative agriculture and really centering soil health and microbial activity and microbial diversity as a key part of, of what we're looking at.
0: Yeah, this is this is the deepest conversation I've had about what's really going on in the soil, which is like super exciting. I just haven't I haven't yeah, don't everyone get I,
1: started. we'll, 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 <laughs> we'll yeah.
0: be going this time tomorrow. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. two Eric soil nerds talking amazing. about CO2 in a webinar and it could be a long one. So. <laughs> Eric sent me
2: this amazing quote last night. Eric, I don't know if you have it pulled up or something. I could probably pull it up pretty quick. But it's from John Kempf, who, again, is Uh Eric and I are big fans of him. And let's see. I just posted it. I can pull it up. He said that agronomy has been framed in terms of managing soil chemistry because chemistry is what we have been able to most readily measure. Agronomy is evolving to recognize the primal importance of biology but only now is it becoming possible to measure the plant biome easily and often. So again, it's we have the tools now to really measure the activity, the health, the vitality of the soil microbiome and we know that that's central to crop health. I mean that that does that does everything and if you really support that system and bring more life into that system, I think we're going to find that there's ROI in all these different facets. There's all these different ways that that makes a healthier farm all the way to even Eric, I love the story you tell about, you know, you're getting people approaching you now, new talent pools, new people who are all of a sudden really excited to work on a farm who maybe wouldn't have considered it before.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and, then just even kind of in this journey, we're doing things and learning things that I would have said are impossible. And just to give an example, you know, for us in region three, waterboard regulations are a really big deal. And for a long time, I didn't think that the goals that they've set out for us were attainable. We got there. We've done pretty well just with the soil nitrate testing program that we do and, 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 you know, really have done well. But the last little bit, you know, is going to be really, really hard. But I, I think that as we get into it and things evolve and we understand soil health better, that there's just not it's not all about nitrogen and that there's actually a carbon cycle. And and one plus two equals three is how we look at nitrogen right now, but it may not be that when we start farming with a carbon focus. It, it, It may be that one plus two equals four. We're learning right now, and when biology is present in the soil and measured in in agrology is is working in that realm that you may be able to in fact do the same with less and meet you know environmental milestones that as an agronomist i said you know are going to be darn near impossible to meet by focusing on carbon and biology you know and, and i know that you know large manufacturers are already doing that I, I, we've done trials i believe already with a, a corteva product they didn't work out uh, we didn't get the results that we wanted, you know, with a with the bacteria that will fix nitrogen, atmospheric nitrogen. But I think we also, you know, when you talk about biology, soil temperature is really relevant. And I think that we probably did that trial when the soils were too cool. And so, you know, it, we've got a lot of trials. A lot of we need a lot of data. We'll need AI and machine learning to help us correlate all the data to make better decisions. And I'm really happy that agrology has really stepped up and is we're going to be learning a lot in this process. And I attribute a lot of it to their passion and intensity in this. They're all in. And and so are we. It's also just so
2: magical to be working at that frontier. I think that without ML and AI, there's so many data points. Like you were saying, Bonnie, that there's no way a single human mind would be able to make sense of them all. I mean, there's what millions, perhaps billions of interactions between like plant root exudates and this microbial, you know, inoculant or biostimulant and the weather and the moisture. And we are now able to like collect all the data. And without this, you know, incredible moment in history where we have these AI and ML tools, we would never be able to make sense of it all. So I wouldn't say we've made sense of it yet, but we're definitely working on it. And we're so excited to be on that journey with Braga. One
0: of the things I wonder about, and and I, I just love this magic soil science a million years ago and we, we barely paid attention to it. It was just like a thing to put the plants in, you know, and it was all about the plants and it was not about the soil. And so I love that we're paying so much attention to what's going on. And there's a lot of conversations and people thinking about carbon and how like, Eric, you were saying, you know, looking at it as a as a potential revenue stream in the future. But sometimes I feel like the focus on just measuring the carbon to be able to get credits for it has us focus on the wrong things. Like when when do you think that that is going to be a revenue stream and and how do you think that's driving some of the science and what we're looking at?
1: Is that for me or for Charlie?
0: You can take it. Charlie can have an opinion after if he does.
1: A lot going on right now to try to figure that out. And so, you know, a lot going on right now to figure it out and how to position ourselves and who to partner with and how to go about it. And so it's it's you know, I actually need to catch my CEO and, and get some direction on that. Yeah. Um, because it's, as we enter the space, we're getting inundated with interest. I mean, I even had a call last week where a representative with the Mexican government was on the call. And so it's there's a lot coming in a lot fast, but kind of, you know, we got to figure out what we want and how we're going to go about it. It's still it. just the impression that I have is that the carbon markets right now are still a little bit of the wild west.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, and I don't know that we want to do that necessarily. I think that we need to really, really think and, and analyze what our business position is and how it's going, how we can leverage our efforts at Carbon to help our retail partners. I, I think that that's where the interest is for us is what can we do to help our retail partners and, you know, and their goals and be seen as a, you know, either the tip of the spear in this area and, and taking it seriously. Um, it's becoming very evident what they want us to do. They're not making any secrets about it. and mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's, we've got to figure out what our, our, path is on that. And, and still, I don't even know that the metrics on it are solid. There's so many factors, but I, I think that, you know, what they're doing at agrology is really going the right direction As you could get paid for a carbon credit and then do a whole bunch of deep tillage and blow it off. And how do you, how do you, what about that?
0: Um, yeah. Exactly.
1: So we're a little premature, but we're, we're in it and we're trying to figure it out right now. So
0: Charlie, how do you guys as a company, I mean, this is, it's going to be an important part of your business model and how you go forward. Like, how do you think about it and how are you working with people?
2: Yeah, no, I mean, it's a great question. I think Eric nailed it when it, it's absolutely the wild west right now in carbon. There are, you know, Companies with a reputation in tatters and companies that are coming up and everything is sort of just moving very quickly and very much in flux. But yeah, we are definitely long-term excited about pursuing a strategy where we can come to a grower and, for example, have a partnership with a biological company that provides a biology that helps, you know, avoid nitrous emissions. And then we also have an offtake. And so we will have kind of a basketed approach where we can kind of go to a grower and say, here's the technology that's going to help you be more regenerative. Here's our technology that's going to measure it and create the data as an asset. And I think that's a really key concept that we work with a Mm -hmm. lot is unless the grower is capturing this impact data, someone else is going to capture it. You know, maybe someone higher, you know, farther along the supply chain or someone will use a model or something. So unless a grower is actively capturing this impact data, then it's not in their control and they don't get to choose how to use it. And then we'd have the offtake So to complete that idea, yeah, we're we're really looking towards approaching it um, in a holistic way where it's a full offering from the practice change to the technology to monitor the impact of that practice change to the offtake for that impact. We also are seeing currently that in setting, so carbon insetting versus offsetting. Offsetting would be if you went to the market and you sold that carbon credit. Insetting is using it for your own ESG goals or your own, you know, claiming carbon neutrality. We're seeing currently that that's actually really valuable. The market has very low prices for, you know, a metric ton of, of CO2 equivalent right now. And we're seeing that there actually might be more value in taking it to market yourself and sort of packaging that data as an asset with your product and then bringing that all the way to market.
0: Talk a little bit more about the value of the inset like how do you get how do you get value from an inset so
2: I mean that's really the consumer wanting and being okay. willing to pay more for a product that has positive impact on the ecology and like Eric said, you know we're really seeing that the retailers are feeling that pressure in addition, there's regulatory pressure that's coming down the pike you know California just passed these climate transparency regulations that are going to affect quite a few companies. And so between the consumer pressure and the regulatory pressure, I think almost all companies, you know, by probably 2040 are going to have to have some pretty clear ESG programs with clear, measurable impact. You know, the days of greenwashing are coming to an end and and folks really, really need to realize that the consumers and the retailers and everyone in the supply chain we want to see real impact, and so the way to do that is to measure it and to have a, um, a powerful data as an asset layer that then the, the grower can choose what to do with this. They can choose to take it to the open market and sell it or package it with their, their lettuce or their wine or whatever it might be and bring that to a consumer for a price premium.
0: Great. So my last question, I could go on and talk to you guys all day, but everybody's got work to do. Let's have Eric start with this one. What are you most excited about and what is happening now in the next few years around regenerative ag? We'll start with you, Eric.
1: I think, I think for us, it's more of the regenerative mindset and what we're learning in the process. And, and for us, it's nutrient management, I think. And again, John Kemp's stuff, sap analysis, really you know, that the, the sap analysis is something that John Kemp has been promoting for well over 10 years. And, and really what we like about it is we're seeing what's going on inside the plant with their nutrients and the balances of the nutrients. And when you start to prescribe very specific fertility regimes, whether it's soil applied or foliar applied, our crops look like way better. And actually we've been able to resist insects and disease by growing a healthier crop. And, and really for me, it's looking at the natural system, anything that's in a native landscape and seeing that those plants by and large, they may not grow a whole lot, but you know, the weak ones get taken out and the ones that aren't weak don't have insects and disease. And so that is something that is an evolutionary process it's something that we have kind of ignored in our, our, our quest for yield. And, and really the journey kind of back towards sustainability is going to be understanding native landscapes, native soils, and trying to get our soils to act as much like nature as possible. And for us specifically, one of the huge, I think the huge discrepancies that we see in our production system between native environments. And uh, what we're doing on the farm is tillage and water quality. So in a native environment, it's only getting really good wa- quality rain water. And when we pump groundwater, we get a lot of salts that impacts our plants. And then of course the tillage is rough on biology uh, to some degree. So it, it's kind of that, that tillage, water quality, sap analysis, precise fertility. And uh, sap analysis, if you do it right, uh, leads to better crops. And for us in the organics, we've really reduced our aphid issues to a minor nuisance. And having chased aphid for 20 years plus in an organic system, to know that it's the best it's ever been for the last year is a tremendous tremendous asset. The harvest meetings are no longer, you know, complaint sessions about aphid and everything. (laughs) So uh, on the organic side.
0: Excellent. Charlie, what about you? What are you excited about? What's coming up?
2: Yeah, I mean, I just think we're at such a unique point in history, you know, where we have all these technologies where we can weave the sap analysis with the microbiome activity monitoring that agrology does, the carbon respiration, you know, genetic mapping the microbiome and the genetic diversity there, there's just such yeah a, a new plethora of data points for growers to make decisions on. And, um, you know, I was a farmer myself in regenerative ag for 10 years, and I saw all of this stuff, but it was all anecdotal. And so to really see the data, backing mm-hmm. it up, is, it's really powerful. And just to see, I mean, I truly feel we're, we're at a bit of an articulation point in history right now in agriculture in general. And I think regenerative ag is gonna do really good things for the entire agricultural system. You know, like Eric was saying, there's lessons that can be learned in regen ag that you can apply in conventional and organic. And I think that it's just really exciting to see that biology and soil health are becoming central parts of the conversation. And then now having the technology to close that feedback loop with the grower so that they can make better decisions because I believe that all growers have the best at heart for their land but they just maybe didn't have the data or the ways of understanding their impact and now we do and so I'm really excited to see just the the agricultural soils of the world become more healthy through this combination of technology and care from growers.
1: I, I do need to hit the disclaimer, though, just really briefly, and, and this is this is coming directly from Rod Braga, is that on our journey to 100%, we're at like 5% of the way there. And if a grower were to say that we're going to be considering regenerative practice, they'd be at 1%. We have a long way to go, and we have a lot to learn and it's, it's pretty likely right now that with the research and development, the regenerative crops are actually costing us more to grow per acre. But it's something I think that we have to do. I think that it's something that we have to do to please our consumers, to help our retail partners with their goals, and also to meet the, the continual onslaught of regulations that California growers are facing. And so, yeah, I, 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 I'm not naive in thinking that we have it figured out. We, we don't. Um, and we fail constantly. But we see enough successes in certain areas to want to continue down the path and, uh, and, and continue to innovate and try to figure it out. And we're happy to share our journey with anybody that asks. It's a it, completely collaborative in this space. And so and I think that's what our retail, retail partners want, too. They want everybody. Eat. When it comes to doing better, it, everybody needs to do better. And we need to help everybody. And we're going to meet everybody where they're at and and try to help everyone get there because it's just about continual improvement so
2: we're at such a steep learning curve right now that it makes it so exciting you know and we're so lucky to work with Fraga and the other growers that we work with that are willing to be the leaders in this space and be on a really steep learning curve and it's it's there's some big you know failures and flops but we're learning so much so quickly and that makes it so exciting uh, it is, and just and really... it's just
1: really fast and it's going slow at the same time because it's like, I kind of have a picture in my mind what it'll all look like in X number of years. But to get there, there's just a lot of steps to do it in really breaking narratives that are present in in all of agriculture. But yeah, it, we've seen enough success with practices and principles to continue down the journey as long as the, the market continues to support our efforts.
0: And I think that, I think that's a really good point because it's not, it's not like we have it all figured out and, and it, and people are saving money all over the place. I think anytime you change practices and the way that you do things there's a period of time where you have to learn and you have to build up the knowledge base and figure out what works and what doesn't work and, and that you're willing to make that commitment. And like you said, you know, lose some money along the way with, with the payoff further down the road, but that's, you know, that's what adoption of new technology looks like. And to me,
1: the payoff is continuing to be able to, you know, stay in the market and not be pushed out by, Regulations and and everything else to continue, you know, to provide you know nutritious, good quality you know food for a lot of the world. So it's ambitious goals, and we want to do it in a more sustainable manner. Um, I, I don't, pretty difficult to disagree with. I, I I think we just need to do better, and we're happy with our partnerships, including agrology that are helping us figure it out. And the more that we get into it, the more that we have people trying to help us and, and learn from us. And it really is a, a much bigger team than just what what we're doing in-house and, and even with the partnership with agrology. There's a lot of people that are very interested in the space. We have a field day on November 1st, and it seems like it's going to be pretty well representative, and it's not necessarily even a regenerative field day. It's a field day primarily about natives and beneficial insects and you know, these types of things, but you know, that's part of the regenerative process too, is letting the natural systems that assist us with their insects help us out. So there's just a lot of elements and we're having a good time. We're having, yeah, my tagline right now is regenerative farming is fun. Um, <laughs>
0: Uh, and you just keep uh, saying that to your team over no, and over. They'll, right?
1: No, they'll, they'll, they'll echo it. They'll echo it. Most <laughs> of the time we're smiling. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, the the company culture has changed as a result of this.
0: That's great. More the
1: good. We were fine before. But I think that with kind of a, a common goalpost that we're all working towards, you know, from the top to the bottom, it's it's really good. It's a good place to be right now. I'm happy to be part of the team.
0: Excellent. All right, you guys. Yeah, I was going to tell you good luck on your field day. That looks great. And I think it's a great example of how you're talking about sharing with what you're trying to do with everyone else, because that's how we bring everybody along. So good luck with that. And it's great to see you both. And I will see you again soon, I'm sure.
1: Well, thank you very much, Bonnie. It was a great time to spend a little bit of time with you this morning. Thank you.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah,
2: thank you, Bonnie. We appreciate you and everything you do um, and the whole IPA team. You've been so supportive. So thank you so much.
0: Thank you. That's it for today's episode of Fresh Takes on Tech. This entire season on Climate Smart Agriculture is funded in part by a grant from USDA for Climate Smart Commodities. See you next time.